0: All right. Well, uh, so good to uh, be gathered with all of you today. I want to welcome our online crowd and those of you gathered at uh, all of our uh, physical locations. We're glad to have you today. And uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter 2 and then uh, also have Matthew chapter 1 ready. That's where we're going to be today. But before we get rolling, I've got um, an update and a challenge uh, to give to you. Uh, The update is uh, many of you probably... Recall over the last several weeks, we've been talking about our partnership with Shepherd Community Center uh, this Christmas uh, to come alongside of them in this Christmas story that they operate um, to provide families in need in our uh, city uh, just a, a great Christmas for their families. But to do so in a way that they can have dignity and respect, meaning uh, they would show up at the Christmas store, pick out uh, items, take them home, wrap them, put them under the tree. And so our role in that as a church is that we just wanted to uh, stock the shelves. We just wanted to provide the inventory for that store. And so um, our um, goal of items that we wanted to gather uh, was 5,050, I'm not quite sure how we arrived at that number, but that was the goal, and uh, I just want you to know that um, we, we didn't meet the goal. Um, we surpassed it, like, big time. Uh, we could throw that number up. All right, so as of right now... Uh, 7,174 items and counting. Uh, We're still, uh, somebody told me today, I don't know if this is accurate or not. Somebody said like they're expecting another thousand items to come in. So this tells me a couple things. First of all, like you guys are crazy generous. You showed up big time for this. Thank you so much uh, for um, your generosity. The second thing it tells me is our goal was too low. All right, that's what it tells me. So, so next year we will increase the goal because we wanna you know, really try to stretch the limits. And I know that uh, you guys will meet and exceed that. This is just a picture of some of the items. So give it up, we're super excited about that. Um, yeah, last week I was actually hanging out at the North Campus and they filled the bins completely at the first service. And so between services, we had to empty all the bins and put it out in a, in a truck to take it away. It was a really cool uh, sight to see. Um, and uh, the second thing that I wanna do is I just wanna lay out um, a, a challenge to you is that this year uh, at our Christmas services, I know that many of you just heard about uh, our Christmas service times. You, you're gonna get the invite box on the way out the door. Can I just tell you this, that a common conversation that I have throughout the year, and I've had this conversation probably for the, the last decade, is I'll meet somebody for the very first time and I'll say, hey man, tell me your story. Like how did, like what's God, How's God been working in your life? When did you start coming to Trader's Point? And a very, very common story is they'll say, I came to a Christmas service. Like I showed up with my family. Uh, I was dating this girl. Uh, I got roped into it, I got tricked into it. I didn't know we were going to Christmas Eve and then we ended up coming and it changed my life. And I've just uh, never, uh, that story never gets old, and I hear it over and over again. And so now, every year at Christmas, that's what I, like, pray for. Like, as I prepare the messages, like, somebody asked me, every, people come up and they're, are you getting ready to preach all these services? And I'm like, yes, I don't mind preaching a jillion services because I know that somebody's going to walk through the door looking for hope and help this year. Now, now so more than ever. And so I just wanna place that in front of you and I wanna ask you to to do something. I want you later on today to uh, go to this link right here. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to today decide, like what service are you going to experience? Meaning what service are you gonna attend and worship with your family and friends? And then what service are you gonna serve at? And I wanna ask you if you're part of our church family that you would serve at least one, maybe two services. And the reason why is because we wanna give as many people as possible a great experience, not just so that they had a great experience, but so that they are open to the hope and the help that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so if you would, would you just text the word serve to 87221 and uh, we would love to plug you in and uh, make this uh, a really, really great Christmas. You guys in with me? All right. Not as excited as I would hope, but, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. And one last thing that I'll say before we jump in is uh, as you're considering your year-end Christmas giving, I want to ask you to consider uh, a a year-end gift uh, to us as well. And here's why. is because um, we say no to more opportunities than we say yes to. And uh, we have more vision than we have resources. And there are still churches to plant, leaders to develop, and children and families to come alongside of and serve. And we will move at the speed of your generosity. And you guys have been incredibly generous this year. But I want to ask, as uh, we close the year down, let's finish on a really strong note. So that way uh, we can bring hope and help to as many people as possible. All right. So uh, let me go ahead and uh, start in Luke chapter 2. I hope that I've given you enough time to find it. Let me start in verse one. I'll read through verse 12. This is the Christmas story. It says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, the title that we have given our Advent Christmas series this year comes straight out of verse 10. Verse 10. When the angel comes and makes this announcement that a Messiah has been born and this is good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now that's kind of an unusual thing nowadays because uh, not all pieces of information, not all news, not all announcements are equally applicable to everyone. But this one is. It doesn't say, hey, this is applicable to the Jewish people or to the Gentiles. This isn't just for the religious people or even the people that believe in God. It's certainly not for the moral people or the people that have it all together. But this is an announcement that is made for everyone. You know, I uh, started preaching regularly about 25 years ago. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you don't look old enough for that, and you should be better at it than you are by now, All right. Right. <laughs> But one of the things that I learned quite right away is that right after Thanksgiving, people just expect you to do a series on Advent and Christmas. And so what that did was it really forced me to look at the story much closer than I ever had before. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I knew the story, like I knew Luke 2 and Matthew 1. And, and I knew kind of the details at, at kind of like a, a surface level. I was familiar with the nativity scene. But when I started having to, to preach it regularly, like those 12 months just go by like that. And you're like, man, it's time for Christmas again. It forced me to look at the story really closely. And one of the things that I've discovered is that the power of the Christmas story isn't just in what happened, but it's in how it happened. And there is a lot of peculiarities to the Christmas story that at first reading, like for starters, like we just sort of get used to the story. So it becomes kind of like expected. But then when you really look at it and you go, man, if I was hearing this for the first time, this is really unusual. There are so many peculiarities to the story. And what I want to contend or put in front of you today is that the power is found in the peculiarities. God is trying to tell us something through this. That Jesus was born to an unmarried couple living in poverty. He wasn't born into royalty. Jesus wasn't born in the middle of one of the most powerful cities in the empire at the time, Rome. He was born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth and nothing good came from Nazareth. It was just a small little podunk town with one stoplight. Jesus didn't have the best education or the biggest platform. Now, now here's the deal, like, like this, Jesus coming into the world changed history forever. And this is the most critical mission ever, that God would send his son into the world to reconcile us back to him, to bring healing and hope and help to a hurting world. And so, like, if I was God, and I think that we can all agree that, and be thankful for the fact that I am not, but if I was God and I'm sending my son Jesus into the world, I would do everything that I could to set Jesus up to be successful in his mission, wouldn't you? Like, I would want Jesus to be born uh, into a wealthy family. I'd want him to have the best education and the greatest opportunities. I would want him to excel. I would want him to have the biggest platform so that way he could accomplish his mission effectively. And yet the details around the Christmas story are so fragile. I mean, Jesus is born to a couple that aren't yet married and they're living in poverty. They don't have anything. That um, Jesus would be born into an environment where Herod had just issued a decree that all the baby boys should be killed. Like everything just seems so fragile and you got to step back and you got to look at it and say, what in the world is God trying to say? It's not just what happened, it's how it happened. But out of all the peculiarities that I want to kind of place in front of you today, I want to highlight this one. And this is one that like we hear it in the story. We we know it's there, but how often do we really stop and think about how it would have felt? And it's really found in this little phrase, like, Mary was a virgin, like the virgin birth. And we just kind of say it like it's sort of a normal thing. That's not a normal thing. And the thing that I want to place in front of you is just simply, and I want to kind of restate it. When we say that Mary was a virgin, what we like really mean is that Mary was pregnant and she wasn't married. Now for just a minute, I just want you to stop, put yourself in her sandals and think about how that would have felt. And maybe for some of you, you don't have to imagine. Maybe that is your story. Maybe that is the story of one of your kids or somebody that you know and love. And there would have been a fair amount of shame that would have come alongside of that. There would have been a fair amount of fear and uncertainty that would have come alongside of that, especially in the culture in which they lived. I mean, Mary was just a teenager. She had hopes and dreams. She'd, she'd met the man of her dreams. She, he, he popped the question. They were engaged. They were going to get married. And now all of a sudden, she started feeling a little weird. She takes a pregnancy test. It's positive. And she's like, what in the world? Like, it's one thing to feel bad about something that you've done. It's another thing to be, feel bad about something that, like, you know that you haven't done anything wrong. And that's why Luke tells us that she was greatly troubled. That is an understatement. I'm sure she was incredibly troubled. I'm sure she was freaking out. Um, the, the angel says to her, hey, hey Mary, like, um, like, don't be afraid. And she sort of answers with this question. I, I love this question. She says, how can this be? That is a loaded question, not just biologically, because she's like, you know, Joseph and I, like, we haven't been together. Like, how can this be? But the other thing is, how can this be emotionally and spiritually? How can this be good news? This is not, does not feel like good news. And the angel's like, don't worry, Mary, you are highly favored. Wow, I'd hate to see what you do to somebody who is out of favor. <laughs> and then you've got Joseph. Matthew actually kind of unpacks for us what Joseph was feeling. It says in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that's just another word for committed or engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, that's another way of saying before they were sexually intimate, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. question I want to insert in here is they didn't know much about the Holy Spirit at this point. Jesus wouldn't do teaching on the Holy Spirit for like 30 more years. So, but, but yet she had this child from the Holy Spirit, verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man. And here, I just want to highlight this. He was unwilling to put her to shame. He didn't want to do that to her. And so he just resolved, to divorce her quietly. Now, he's not trying to abandon her. It's that he knows that this type of thing would have been enough quite possibly, not only to excommunicate her, uh, she could have been put to death for this. And Joseph Joseph is like, I'll just step out of the picture. I don't want to put her to shame. Like, I'll, I'll I'll just walk away. And the angel comes to Joseph and the angel says, hey, Joseph, don't be afraid. This baby that your fiance is pregnant with will save not only you, but the entire world from your sins. Now, we read that and we go, cool, that's what Messiahs do. But up until that point, how were you saved from your sins? Not through a baby, through a system. Like we just got done talking about this in, the, in our Roman series where throughout the whole Old Testament, the way that you dealt with your sins was you went to the temple, you made sacrifices on a regular basis. It was through a system of laws, rules, and regulations. And now the angel comes and says, Joseph, there's a baby that's gonna save people from their sins. And Joseph would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. It would have taken an incredible amount of faith. And so put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a minute. How do you think he would have felt? How do you think he would have felt when Mary nervously came to him and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's God's. <laughs> I think Joseph would have been hurt and somewhat heartbroken. He would have been like, man, I, you know, I, th- I thought she loved me. Like, I thought this was gonna be the woman I was gonna spend the rest of my life with. I think that he would have been really afraid. I think he would have been like, man, what are people gonna think? Who's gonna believe our story? Like, like, like what's gonna happen? I think, I think quite possibly he might have even experienced, although he doesn't show it, so I don't want to project this onto him, but he is a human. I would imagine that he would have been a little bit angry. Like, man, I can't believe she would have done this to me. Like, I'm going to ruin her reputation. I'm going to put her to shame. But Joseph doesn't do any of those things. In fact, Joseph demonstrates an incredible amount of faith by believing the angel and believing Mary. And he chooses to... Support her, be with her, marry her, love her. I mean, after Jesus, they would have other kids together, and yet Joseph would raise Jesus as his own. I think that Joseph is one of the most underrated people in the Bible. My friend uh, John Tyson, who pastors the church in New York City, he recently pointed out that um, we don't have any recorded words of Joseph saying anything. His obedience was his speech. And he could have made a really difficult situation so much more difficult, but he didn't. And he stuck with her, even though they would have felt an intense amount of scrutiny and yes, even shame. Now here's the deal. Mary and Joseph had not done anything wrong and yet they knew what it felt like to feel shame, even if it was just the looks and the hushed whispers of people around them. Did you hear? She's pregnant. They, they've, they've got some story about, you know, it's from the Holy Spirit, but, you know, it's a far, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a whopper. Now, here's the thing that I, I want just to kind of place in front of all of us. What does shame feel like? And how do you deal with it? Like, like, what's the thing that's, like, what's the statement that's underneath the shame that we all feel? How do you capture shame in a statement? Um, several years ago, I um, had set up a, a date night with my wife and made reservations at a nice restaurant, set it all up, had a babysitter, all of that. Um, uh, what I had failed to to let my wife know is that there was a small group here at uh, the church that met here at the Northwest campus in one of the classrooms. And they had requested like weeks and weeks ago uh, to, for Lindsay and I to come and visit the small group because they once wanted to do a little Q and a, get to know us a little bit. And so I had set that up, but I had forgot to tell my wife about it. Like, I don't recommend that. All right. And so, um, and so uh, I, I actually, um, it, 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 the way it worked out was um, it was on date night. When we were going to meet this small group. So, so Lindsay and I, we go to the restaurant to have this nice meal. And I, I had recalled, like, I was like, oh man, I forgot to tell her that after dinner, we got to go over to the church and meet this small group. And while we're at dinner, she's telling me just how long of a week she's had. She can't wait just to get home and just to get in some comfy clothes and just to relax. And the whole time I'm just like, ah, I don't have the heart to tell you what we're getting ready to do. And I was like, I was scared. I was scared. And so so we get done with dinner, we get in the car and she's just like, oh, I'm just, just get me home. You know? And I didn't say a word. I'm just like driving here to the Northwest campus and we, we pull into the parking lot and she goes, what are we doing? And I was like, well, you know, there's, there's this small group that, I mean, I told you about this, right? Um <laughs> a small group wants to meet us. And she gave me this look. Like she thought I was joking at first and then she realized I wasn't. And then, It became winter in the car, like real fast, right? So, so we're like we're like walking down the hallway, and I'm just like, honey, like we just, we won't be here very long, just real quick, you know. And she's not saying much, and I, I tried to, you know, reach over and hold her hand, and you know that that didn't work, and so, so. (laughs) We, we go, we get into the, into the room and like this small group, they were so loving, so kind. They, they kind of came around us. We had these seats and in the middle, they circled around. And first question, I'm not even exaggerating this. Like I can't even make this up. This lady looked right at my wife and she goes, Lindsay, tell us what is it like to be married to such a wonderful man of God? And I was like, oh no. And my wife, like, she's so gracious. She gave this gracious, gracious response that I didn't deserve. But here, here's, here was the statement that was going on in my mind. If you only knew. Yeah. That, that's what shame feels like. Man, and if you only knew. Like, if you only knew the real me. Like, if you only knew what was going through my mind. If you only knew what I've done, like way back in my past, if you'd only knew the thing that I'm trying to bury really deep and I hope that nobody ever finds out about. And I just want you for a minute to just look at your own life. So what's that, what is that for you? What is causing you shame right now? See, I love everything about this season. I love Christmas, but I think that we have to be really, really careful. Because I think especially in this westernized kind of consumer, you know, Christmas kind of, you know, society in which we live, it's very easy for us to create an atmosphere where we just sort of like, you know, fake it. We put on a a good face when underneath there's a lot of turmoil going on. I mean, statistics will just reveal every year that this is the time of year where depression, suicide and anxiety, it all skyrockets this time of the year. And yet... If you were an alien visiting our planet for the very first time in December, all it would take, you'd just look around and go, these are the happiest people in the world looking at all the lights and all the food and all the ugly Christmas sweaters and all the movies and all the festivities, like it just looks amazing, but yet underneath the surface, not so amazing. Now, I don't wanna overstate this, but I just, I just wonder, I had this thought this last week, if I wonder if at times the reason why so many of us love Christmas, like we love all the decoration and the cheer is maybe a way for us to sort of numb ourselves to the emptiness, loneliness, dissatisfaction, and shame that we're feeling beneath the surface. Like, how else do you explain Christmas music before Thanksgiving? (laughs) It's like, there's nothing that a good peppermint latte, you know, won't fix. And I'm not trying to be Scrooge about all that. I'm just trying to be real. Like, are we trying to cover up some of the stuff rather than dealing with it? And there's a couple of ironies in Mary and Joseph's story. This is the time of year when we sing peace on earth. (laughs) And yet that very first Christmas... I would imagine that they were experiencing anything but peace, at least initially. There was nothing Norman Rockwell-esque about that first Christmas from Mary and Joseph's perspective. They hadn't even done anything wrong. And yet they felt this immense amount of shame, even just in the way that others treated them. Here's an example. Have you ever wondered why when they had to travel to Bethlehem to register for the census, why was there no room for them in the inn? That question has always bothered me. It's like, was it? And I think we always just sort of took it for granted. It's like, well, you know, Joseph, he's not much of a planner. He forgot to book the room. And then, you know, everybody's going to Bethlehem for the census and there's also a convention in town. So all the rooms are booked. Is that, is that what happened? But see, here's the thing, it's his hometown. Like if I had to make an unexpected trip to my hometown tonight and all the rooms are booked in my hometown, I'm pretty confident I could find two or three beds to crash in because I've got enough friends and family in my hometown. And yet Joseph couldn't find a place to stay. They got to stay in a barn. Here's what I think happened. I can't prove this, but what I'm thinking is, is that they knocked on a number of doors and were turned away. Oh, Joseph, there you are. You and your pregnant girlfriend. Yeah, you're not coming in here. And I think that they would have felt a a wide variety of emotions, but let me just point out three that you might possibly be feeling this Christmas as well. Here's the first one is I just think that they would have felt as if their lives had been disrupted. You ever feel that way? I think that all of us could say to a certain extent that 2020 and 2021 has been a massive disruption to all of our lives. But even at an individual level, has there ever been a time in your life when you had a plan, you were working the plan and things didn't go according to plan. And now you're like, I, I, by the age of 25, by the age of 30, by the age of 40, like I thought that I would be at this place in my life, but I'm not. Like that dream job turned out to be a nightmare. Like, like that, that, that man of my dreams turned out not to be. There's this unexpected health scare that I never saw coming. This major setback. This just isn't where I thought I'd be at this point in my life. I'm just wondering if there's anybody, like right now, you got a piece of information this last week, and it just came out of left field. It is totally disrupting your sense of peace. And if that is the case, you're in good company with Mary and Joseph. If that is the case, then you're in good company with just about every person that God used in a significant way in the pages of scripture. Because I can't think of anybody that God didn't work through in the Bible whose lives weren't disrupted in some way. And if your life is feeling disrupted, you might be closer to the center of the will of God than you might imagine. Mary and Joseph were. And what I just want you to know and it's not going to sound super comforting at first but I mean it to be comforting is that that God always disrupts our lives, but in the best possible way. And as I begin to look back at my own life, it isn't the times when things just seem to be clicking. Things seem to be like, I've got my own set of plans and and it's just, everything's coming together. It's usually in the disruptions where I feel the closest to God because it requires me to be solely dependent upon him rather than anything else. And God will refine and he will redirect and he will form you more and more into his image through the disruptions culture will lull you to sleep satan just wants you to get you to go with the flow to make light, just to be happy just to have the least resistance as possible and that is why the pages of scripture say narrow is the way god will meet you in your disruptions the second thing they would have been feeling is i think that they would have felt all alone I think that they, they would have felt like the weight of the world was on them at this point in more ways than one. Not only are, is everybody looking at them with intense scrutiny, kind of a smirk on their face, like, yeah, right. We're not going to believe that story. But if this really is true, that the Messiah was going to be this baby that Mary's going to deliver, that's a lot of pressure, don't you think? I mean, all of us have a certain amount of parenting guilt anyway. All of us are like, man, I hope I'm not messing up my kids. Imagine just raising the son of God. Like, it's like, how, how in the world would we be able to, you know, how would like, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And I'm just wondering right now, if you feel alone, um, if the statistics are correct, a fair amount of you listening to this right now feel that way. It, it, here's the deal. We, we feel isolated and alone from each other more than ever. It is endemic among young adults. It's endemic among older adults. All of us feel this sense, here's what alone feels like, is like, does anybody really care? Does this really matter? And oftentimes at Christmas, it feels like maybe you look around and everybody has someone, but maybe you're reminded that you don't. I think one of the most challenging things about life is when you have a really close relationship, whether that is a family member, a friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a husband, wife, whatever, and then they are no longer in your life. It's like when relationships end, and it's just that feeling of aloneness. And Christmas maybe is right now is a reminder of how lonely that you feel. And if that is the case, God is closer than you think. I think that they would have felt some level of shame. Not necessarily because they'd done anything wrong, but because of the circumstances that they were in. And so if you feel shame, you are in good company with Mary and Joseph. Now, and here's what I want you to, to, to to hear is that this Christmas, the thing I want you to know is that whether you, right now you feel like life has been disrupted because of some unexpected news. Right now, if you feel all alone right now, even if you're in a crowded room full of people, right now, if you feel this sense of shame, this statement of man, if you only knew, I just want you to hear this, God will meet you in all three with his love and his grace. That's the power of the Christmas story. And that Jesus was born into this world to actually give you hope through the disruptions to help you know you are not alone in this dark uh, um, uh, world and that um, shame does not have the final say. Um, I remember when I was in uh, college, one of the most uh, powerful messages I'd ever heard in my life came out of a, a chapel that I attended one Tuesday morning. And uh, one of our, our professors, he was delivering the sermon. It was a sermon on forgiveness. And he got to the very end and he was telling this story to kind of wrap up this sermon that he gave on, on the subject of forgiveness. And he said that when, when he was in college, he shared a, a room with three other roommates and they were working, he was working on this big project for a class. And uh, it was a, a notebook that he had put together. He'd worked on it for weeks and weeks and weeks, as part of his like, final project for the semester. And he said he got done with it early, set it on the counter of his uh, dorm room and uh, then left one evening. When he came back, the notebook was gone. He asked all three of his roommates if they had seen it. All of them said they didn't know what he was talking about. And he looked and looked and looked, and didn't find it anywhere. I mean, he had spent weeks and weeks on this project. There was no way he was gonna redo it and get it done in time. So he goes to the professor, explains to the professor what had happened. And the professor said, well, uh, I'll give you an extension. You can redo it for half credit. And he said, so he redid the whole thing, turned it in for half credit. And he goes, I've always been frustrated by that because I never knew what happened to my original notebook. All three of my roommates said they had no idea what happened to it. And he goes, fast forward uh, 25 years later. He's speaking at a uh, CIY conference, Christ and Youth. We, we send our students to that every year and he's uh, up uh, front uh, speaking at this. And afterwards, uh, a man walks up to him who looks vaguely familiar. And he, as the guy walks up and begins to speak to him, he realizes this is one of my old college roommates. The guy's now a youth pastor in another state somewhere. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, he's, could, I talk to you in, could I talk to you in private for a few minutes? he's like, yeah, sure. And so they go into a room and he said, the guy got like really emotional and he's like looking down at the ground and without even looking up, he just simply said these words. He goes, I took your notebook. And my professor's like, what are you talking about? Like just now, like I've got my notes right here. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm not talking about now. 25 years ago, when we lived together on campus in the dorm room, that project you worked hard on, you put it together. He's like, you left for the evening. We were in the same class. He goes, I, he's like, you're so smart. He's like, I, I, there's no way I can do the project as good as you. He's like, I took the notebook. I took out the title page. I swapped it out for my own. I turned it in as my own. And he's like, I've lived with that secret. That's just, just, um, veiled me in shame for so many years. And he's like, and i been a youth pastor. I'm like teaching my youth kids to like be honest and be men and women of integrity. And he goes, knowing that I've got this thing that goes all the way back to college. And he's like, you know, I've asked God for forgiveness. He goes, but I've never squared it with you. And my professor said, like, what, 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 what can I do for you? And he goes, will you forgive me? And my professor said, he looked right at him and he said, please know that you are 100% forgiven. Please don't live with this weight any longer. And the man began to weep and he gave him a hug and he just squeaked out the words, thank you. And he walked out my professor's wrapping up this message on forgiveness and he's got all of us leaning forward and he just comes to the very end of the stage. And he says, as I was standing in this empty room by myself, I'm just like sort of stunned by what I've just experienced. And he goes, you know, it kind of seemed like a little thing. Like it was a notebook from college, like a long time ago. Like there's probably uh, so many of us that would go, man, I've done way worse things than that. And he goes, but yet shame still feels the same way, regardless of the specifics. And he said, he's standing in this room and he goes, it was, he goes, it was the middle of July, but he goes, but I, I thought I could hear a little baby crying in a manger. See, the story of forgiveness, the story of Christmas is that God would send what we needed the most. He would send a baby into the world, a Messiah to save us from our sins. What does that mean? Very, at a very, not just a theological level to save us from our sins, but at a very practical level to deliver us from our shame. And God says, you don't need to continue to pay the same price for what I've already paid for you. See, it's not just what happened on Christmas, it's how it happened. And Matthew, when you look at his, version of the Christmas story, the way that he wants to tell us what happened. Matthew does a really great job of bringing home the point that this, the news of this Messiah is meant for everyone. There's nobody that's excluded. And Matthew does this by introducing the birth of Jesus to us in what is called a genealogy. And a genealogy is just a record of one's family tree. And honestly, like it doesn't make for real compelling reading. This is the way that Matthew chooses to tell us the Christmas story and it is the way the New Testament begins. It says in verse two, Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab. And the question is, you're like, why in the world would you begin the New Testament this way? You've got like 300 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. It's called the intertestamental period. And now uh, all of a sudden you're gonna break the silence with material that could be used as a cure for insomnia. Why would you do that? Well, we need to understand a couple things. First of all, during this time, you didn't have picture IDs, you had genealogies. A genealogy was the way that somebody communicated who they were. It, It gave you credibility. Like if you wanted to know who somebody was, then you looked at their family tree. So it's not surprising given given Matthew's audience that he begins to introduce us to Jesus by just giving us a record of Jesus' family tree. What is surprising is who he chooses to include on the list. Like we've all got that family member we'd rather not be associated with. Like you know the one. Jesus has a whole bunch of them. So let me just kind of give you a sampling of a few. Matthew begins with the name of Abraham. Well, Abraham was a great man of faith, but did you also know that he was a prolific liar? The Bible doesn't skip over some of the lies that Abraham told. The next in the line of genealogies was a guy named Isaac. He is Abraham's son, and apparently the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because he repeats the same sin and is guilty of lying in order to get what he wants. Next, you have Jacob. Jacob was a swindler and a cheat. He deceived his father and ripped off his brother. Next, we read in verse three, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, those names may not be as familiar to you as the previous three that we just read. And that is because this story is found in the Bible, but we oftentimes just skip over it because we don't really know what to do with it. But it's found in Genesis chapter 38. And if I could give you the Cliff Notes version, it goes like this. Judah married off his oldest son to a young lady named Tamar. to his daughter-in-law. But Judah's oldest son is killed. And now it falls to Judah to take care of his widowed daughter-in-law, Tamar, to provide for her. Well, he doesn't want to do it. So he kicks her out of his house and sends her out on her own. Well, Tamar is desperate. And so here's what she does. She dresses like a prostitute. She disguises herself, stands on a street corner, knowing that her father-in-law will pass by. One night he does. She is veiled. It is dark. He doesn't recognize her. He falls into her trap. She gets onto his camel. I don't know how that works and uh, he still doesn't know who she is and so uh, he's with her that night and he gives her his staff and his seal and he says, I'll come back and pay pay you. Fast forward a few months, word comes back to Judah that his widowed daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. He is furious and he says, you bring her to me and burn her to death. And so Tamar comes out and do you know what she's carrying with her. Mm-hmm. His staff and his seal. And you're like, wow, I didn't know that story was in the Bible. Well, as a general rule, doesn't make for great Sunday school or VBS material, <laughs> right? Doesn't in there, you keep reading and you come across Rahab, who was a prostitute, and Solomon who married multiple women and strayed from God's commands. And then you have David. We're a little more familiar with his story. Well, listen now, Matthew puts it in verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, he doesn't mention her name, but maybe it was somebody that you recognize. Her name was Bathsheba. See, Matthew doesn't skip over any of the messy, embarrassing, shameful material that is found in Jesus' family tree. His lineage contains men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, and Gentiles. He is intentional to include it in the genealogy of Christ for a reason. And I'm so glad that he did. And here's why. For all of us who have ever had our Judah and Tamar moments, for anyone who has ever done anything that they thought they would never do or could do, for anyone who has ever made a mistake that they hope never becomes public knowledge, God sent a Savior. It is His gift to us at Christmas because He knew it is what we needed the most. And through this train wreck of a family tree, Matthew is saying that Jesus came from sinners for sinners, which means nobody is beyond his grace. What? Listen to me, whatever your situation is right now, it can be redeemed. It can. It may not feel that way. You may have had other people tell you it can't be that way. But that's why God didn't just beam Jesus down here as a transaction to pay for our sins on a cross. It was the way he came. God was saying, there isn't anybody that is beyond my reach and I will do anything to reach you. In fact, I love the way that Jesus illustrated it. When Jesus is illustrating this very point, Jesus says it's sort of like a, a rebellious son who tells his father to die and he takes his share of his inheritance and goes and blows it on wild living and then the father goes and pursues his son. He goes, that's what it's like. It's like a, it's like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off and the shepherd will leave the 99 to go find the one. He goes, you're the one. God will do anything to come after you. And I always knew that, I knew that like theologically, but when I had kids, it really came home to me. I've got four kids, three of them are teenagers now, but when they were really little, um, and like before the days when they had cell phones and devices, like I, now I, like I know where all my kids are all the time because I've got like the find my friends, you know, app and the creepy parent apps where I'm just like hovering all the time, you know, so I've got all that. But but before, like before they had like phones and devices and they were really, really little, like um, like my worst nightmare was losing one of my kids. And actually I I did several times, right? Like like I I lost one of my kids in Home Depot one time. I lost one of my kids at Disneyland. I lost one of my kids in an airport. I lost one of my kids at home when I was just home alone with them. (laughs) It was like dad of the year right here. Like, and and I got to tell you that every time I've lost one of my kids, priority one, like I couldn't focus on anything else until I found that child. And if I would lost one of my kids and my wife came home and I'm just sort of kicking it, you know, watching TV. And she's like, well, where, where is, where is Connor? Well, I don't know. Well, why aren't you finding it? Honey, relax. Like we've got three others, right? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quality, not quantity. All right. No, like it's, when, and the, here's the thing is that that's how God views you. He like pursues you, like he's running after you. Like he 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 sent Jesus into this world. He's making a dramatic statement. The question is: is are you listening? Are you aware of the great extent of his love for you? Because this is a gift of grace that is meant for anyone and everyone. And you are not too far gone. There isn't anyone that is beyond the reach of God's grace. I want to wrap up this way. Several years ago, uh, just in just doing my own study on all of this, I just did this little exercise. I was actually challenged by a friend of mine to do this. Where I just opened up my journal, and I just started. I took the alphabet, and I was just like, uh, who are all the people that God sent his son for? Like, I, uh, just to, to visually help me understand this. And I actually shared this list with all of you. This has been a few years ago now. But I think... Uh, um, uh, Coming back to it can be powerful. And I know there's a whole bunch of you that weren't here a few years ago. So let me just conclude by going through the list again. God's gift of grace that is for everyone includes all people, beginning with the first letter of the alphabet. God sent his son, Jesus, for airline pilots, attorneys, ambulance drivers, artists, acrobats, astrologers, auditors, the Amish, Anglicans, adulterers, agnostics, atheists, addicts, the arrogant, and the Oakland A's. God's gift of grace is for babies, Baptists, boy bands, blondes, brunettes, and old women with blue hair, bullied in the bullies, brave, bossy, bitter, bummed out, broken, and burned out. God's gift of grace is for Canadians, Cambodians, Cubans, and Mark Cuban. Congressmen, crooks, creeps, card players, cheaters, criers, cutters, crystal meth junkies, and cat lovers, barely. God's gift of grace is for dads, Democrats, dishwashers, deadbeats, drag racers, drag queens, and drama queens, disc jockeys, and the dudes sitting right next to you. His gift of grace is for Elvis impersonators, environmental activists, evolutionists, e-cigarette smokers, exaggerators, the emotional, and Eminem. God's gift of grace is for F, faithful, faithless, fearful, fearless, and the forgetful, Finland, France, and those who think the Philippines is spelled with an F. His gift of grace is for G, gardeners, good, grateful, generous, greedy, glamorous, gullible, gum chewers, grouchy, and the goofy. H, his gift of grace is for hard workers, the hardly working, the homeless, homosexuals, homophobic, and all the homo sapiens. His gift of grace is for I, India, Indiana, introverts, intense, the IRS, and the ironic. God's gift of grace is for J, janitors, jugglers, and late night jammers, late night talk show hosts named Jimmy Fallon or Kimmel, pop singers, Justin T or Justin Bieber. God's gift of grace is for K, Chloe, Courtney, Kim, Kendall, Kylie, and Kanye. His gift of grace is for L, lazy, lousy, lethargic, librarians, landscapers, lawyers, and lunch ladies. It's for M, mimes, Mennonites, missionaries, moms, Moroccans, meticulous, mischievous, malicious, Miley, Madonna, and Marilyn Monroe. God's gift of grace is for N, Nicolas Cage, Nick Jonas, Nick Nolte, and Nicki Minaj, the New York Knicks and those who love Nickelodeon. This gift of grace is for O, orthodontists, obstetricians, OBGYNs, ophthalmologists, and every name you read in the obituary. This gift of grace is for P, preachers, pimps, police officers, pornographers, prostitutes, pill poppers, and the prideful. It's for Q, the queen of England, the Band queen, and Queen Latifah. It's for R, Russians, Rwandans, real estate agents, Republicans, realists, responsible, and those filled with regret. It's for S, the sassy, the spunky, and the sarcastic. South Africa, South Carolina, and South Side of Chicago, smokers, strippers, and serial killers. This gift of grace is for T, telemarketers, television reporters, trainers, teleporters, the transgendered, the timid, and those who are a train wreck. It's for you, the United Kingdom, United Arab Emirates, United States, the ungodly, the unjust, the used car salesmen and movie theater ushers. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. It's for V, victorious victims, vegetarians, and people from Virginia, God's gift of grace is for W, Will Farrell, Will Smith, windshield washers, waitresses who work at Waffle House, and the lady who weighs you in at Weight Watchers. It's for X, x-ray technicians, X-men, and those with the X factor. It's for Z, zookeepers, and those preparing for the zombie apocalypse. And finally, God's gift of grace is, is for you. It's for young you, adolescent you, old you, you without makeup or muscles, you at your best and you at your worst confused you, content you, timid you, silly you, self-conscious you, arrogant you, unemployed you, entitled you, fearful you, lonely you, guilt-ridden you, adorable you and unlovable you, single you, divorced you, separated you or widowed you, angry you, sad you, bitter you, cynical you, cowardly you, God so loves you. That is the message of Christmas. And it is a message that is for all people. Now, here's the tragic thing, is that you would leave any gift unopened, especially that one. And so what I wanna do is give you an opportunity to receive that gift today. And it's more simple than you might imagine. Here's what it requires. It requires a repentant heart. It requires an open posture and it requires a dependent leaning upon God through Jesus Christ. So here's what I wanna ask you to do if you're joining us online, if you're at one of our campuses, if you would just bow your head, close your eyes, I just wanna lead you in this prayer. If you are ready to receive this gift, to not leave it unopened this Christmas, would you just simply pray this prayer with me? Father God, I come to you today and I am exhausted from trying to be good enough God, I'm tired of managing my image. I'm tired of dealing with my shame. I'm tired of wondering if I'm enough. And so I come to you with open hands and a repentant spirit and a willing heart. God, I trust that you are who you say you are, that Jesus is your son, that you sent him into the world as the Messiah to save us from our sins. And God, I wanna be delivered from my shame and my sin and my brokenness. And so God, I receive you today. I place my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And so today I declare that Jesus is both Lord and Savior and I wanna follow you the rest of my days. And I ask this in Jesus name, amen. And right now I trust whether online at one of our physical campuses, that there was somebody who prayed that prayer. And if you did, we just want to love on you and support you and celebrate you. Say, way to go. That's not an easy thing to do. And so if that is you, I want to ask you to just follow up. You can text the word Jesus to 87221. You can talk to somebody in the room immediately after. You can email our office. We would love to just come around you and help you take your next steps in that relationship with Jesus Christ this Christmas. So what I wanna ask you to do at all of our campuses would you stand to your feet and we're gonna wrap up our time together by lifting up our voices in worship together.